Hey, Amanda. Hey, Kristen. I am so excited for this episode. Me too. I've been following her for so long. It is life-changing for me. Yeah. Yeah, she's one of the ones where we got and we were like, really? (laughs) I know. This whole conversation was absolutely amazing, and I cannot wait to get to it. But the first thing I want to tell everybody is that we have a poll up on our Patreon page, which is totally free for everybody to access. And we want to know what book you guys want to see for the book club. It is between the second and third Austin Cleon books. Show your work and keep going. If you guys want to do the second book out of the three books, let us know. If you guys want to just go to the third book that he talked about with us on his interview on the Crafty S Female podcast, then let us know that one. We are going to start the book club on August 1st. So the poll will be open on patreon.com slash craftyassfemale through the end of the week. And we would love to know which book you guys want to hear. Participate, you know, join in on whether you want to go book two or just skip over book two and read that one on your own because it's been out for several years now. Or if you guys want to jump in to book three. So head over to Crafty Ass Female slash Patreon or Patreon slash Crafty Ass Female, whichever one you guys want to do. Uh, it's it's easier to get to the poll if you go to patreon.com slash Crafty Ass Female and decide which book club is book club book is right for you. Uh, we'll make the announcement next week. We'll make the announcement next week and let you know which one has been chosen. Um, so thanks so much for picking which one works best for you. Uh, what else is going on this week, Amanda? You have awesome ladies coming up. I know. You're going to be here in just a couple awesome of days. Fly. I'm really excited. How are you feeling? Really good. I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm a little bit nervous, but that's normal. And uh, mostly just really excited. Really excited. And also really excited for this episode. And also, Lisa's after chatter is amazing. Yeah. She's so about her studio. color coordinated. Yeah. This you got to see her on the video. Yeah, the video. This is one of those videos you have to watch. So, if you guys are not a Patreon supporter, you should definitely become a Patreon supporter with this episode. It is only $5 a month, and you get access to 100 videos, 100 videos, 100 episodes of either the craftiest female after chatter show, the book club, random extra episodes that Amanda and I have made for our supporters. It is a really awesome club and you get to help support the most awesome crafty podcast on the planet, the craftiest female. I always think of after chatter as like, you know, when you're at a party with people and that's kind of like our episode, like it's the party and everyone shows up and they get the invitation and they know what time to be there, whatever. But after chatter is like those few last scragglers that have the intimate conversation at your house after what like I feel like after chatter is like just like the creme de la creme it's the diner you go to the diner yeah. afterwards <laughs> yes I like the diners where you would go afterwards you'd go to the party yeah. and then it would be over at two o'clock in the morning and you'd go to the diner and you'd get a burger and fries because that's where yeah. you could get a burger and fries at two o'clock in the morning so if you like a burger and fries at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> even though we're now like too old to eat a burger and fries at two o'clock in the morning <laughs> Come and join the craftiest female Patreon, and you too can be part of the Cool Kids Club. It would be cool if we could somehow that hand teleport oh, invention yeah. we have, like pass people burgers and fries while watching after chatter. 
I know. We do need to get the hand teleportation device patented TM. immediately. TM. Yeah. We're going to make that happen. Maybe by supporting the Crafty Ass Female After Chatter <laughs> Patreon, you too can help support the growing need for passing. What are we calling this? I don't know. I just picture it on the side of my laptop, like this little hand. Mini teleportation. I, yeah. When I put my hand through it, I could high five you for real. Yes. Screen high five. Screen. <laughs> yeah. All day long. All right, guys, we are going to head over to Lisa Congdon because she is absolutely amazing. She has so much wisdom. This episode is one of the best that we have on file. It is an absolute must listen, repeat, download it to your phone, keep it on file. I, this one like literally changed my life, guys. So thank you for listening to the show. Thank you for supporting the show. Thank you for being a crafty ass female listener. And here's Lisa Congdon. Welcome to the Crafty Ass Female Podcast, an audio show that talks about the resourceful ways we women are living our lives and the crafty projects we create in between. We are your hosts, Amanda Zampelli and Kristen Tweedale, and we believe you are a capable badass who already has all the tools you need to make beautiful things and make beautiful things happen. We're just here to remind you. Hey, Amanda. Hey, Kristen. Hey, Lisa. Hello, guys. <laughs> so excited to have you on. Everyone, listeners, today we have fine artist and illustrator Lisa Congdon on the show today. She's from Portland, Oregon, and best known for her colorful paintings and hand lettering, as if y'all didn't know, but I just felt like in case you didn't. Um, yeah, and she's worked with clients from all over the globe, and she's authored eight books, including The Starving Artist Myth Smashing Art, Inc., which is the essential guide to building your career as an artist and illustrated books such as The Joy of Swimming, which is my favorite, Obsessed. Thank you. Um, and just so happy to have you here. I feel like you're the perfect fit for the crafty-ass female because our our title kind of plays on, you know, being crafty, and you are because you craft books and you craft art. But then the whole other side of crafty that we like to talk about in the podcast, which is like being resourceful and as a woman living in the world today, you know, solving problems and just kind of navigating through that. And I recently read um, the article from 99U mm-hmm. that you did, the interview. So good. I'm going to link to that so everyone can um, hear your answers in that too. But you said there isn't one way to be an artist. And I love that idea because that's us being resourceful, trying to figure out the way that we can kind of be artists. So welcome. I love you so much. And then August 6th um, is your new book as well, Find Your Artistic Voice. So I just feel like let's go into everything. <laughs> let's do it. <laughs> yeah, so happy to have you. But all that was kind of right, right? Fact yeah, 100%. <laughs> cool, cool. So tell us kind of a little bit more about you if you'd like and kind of how we got to this book. This is the eighth book, right? Yes. And cool. thank you. Wow. How did I get here? Well, <laughs> I mean, I actually started out as a crafter when I was, I, it's been almost 20 years, but when I was in my early thirties, I, I just gone through a breakup and I was kind of like fell flat on my butt because I had been with the same person since I was in my early twenties. And I got out of this relationship. And at the same time, I also changed jobs. I went from being a school teacher to working in an office. And so all of a sudden, like all of these things in my life changed from, uh, you know, being in a relationship to being single and alone for the first time in my adult life to um, having a job that was less creative 
like teaching. I taught first grade. It was like every day I had to be super creative. And so I got pretty depressed. Um, but in pretty short order, I found a therapist and I started sort of like working on figuring out who I was and what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And it's not like I woke up one morning and I said, um, I want to be an artist now. But what I did know was that I had all this space in my life and immediately um, when I started the healing process of, you know, all the things that I was going through at the time, I called it my early midlife crisis because um, I wasn't really in midlife yet, but I was having a crisis. Um, I found that I had this really intense desire to be creative. So that's what I ended up filling all of the space and time that I had with. Um, so I was sewing, I was taking drawing and painting classes, I was making things, I was collaging, I set up this little spot on my dining room table in my apartment, and I just started exploring. And around the same time, the internet was becoming a space where like crafting and the DIY movement was starting, this was in the early 2000s, and I just kind of fell in love with it. And so I started a blog and I started posting pictures of the stuff I was making. I joined Flickr, <laughs> which I like to call like the original Instagram. Um, and I started meeting people and I started looking at what other people were making. And I was like following the craft movement and I was starting to do craft shows. And um, I, I still had a full-time job. Um, but after a few years, I started sort of slowly selling my work. I never ever at the time imagined that I could do what I do now or that I would do what I do now. And actually at the time it wouldn't have been possible because all the things that helped my career, like social media in the way that we know it now, like didn't exist then. So it was a long time ago. So anyway, um, I, I just sort of like gradually, um, started putting my work out there more, working hard at becoming better. I kind of gave up sewing after a while and really focused on painting and drawing and illustration. And eventually I said, I think I can make a career move. And it wasn't overnight, it took years. Um, and I, I went part-time at my job. I kept making stuff, I opened an Etsy shop. Um, I got a few little commissions here and there. I was having art shows in little venues in San Francisco. And then um, I eventually went full, full, full-time artist and it was a, a huge struggle for the first few years, but I was super determined and I felt um, super excited to make art in a way that I had never been excited to do anything in my life. So even though I was super poor and often very frustrated because I didn't know exactly what I was doing. Um, I just kept at it. And then, you know, eventually I sort of became an expert at making money as an artist and like doing this thing, um, you know, professionally because I, because I didn't know what I was doing. I taught myself and I figured it out and um, there weren't a lot of resources at the time. And now I can share what I learned with other people, which is one of the greatest joys of what I get to do now. So, yeah. Yeah. I remember reading Art Inc. I, it seems like forever ago. Yeah. It came out in 2014, which is like five years ago. But yeah, yeah, I just recorded the audio version a couple months ago for the first time. And um, 
and I hadn't read it in a while. And I was like, some of this is actually like, like I got to update it a little bit, which was good. Cause like so much has changed in the last five years. We talk a lot on the show about, cause we get a lot of awesome artists on the show, artists and creatives who talk a lot about like internet 1.0. Right. Before, <laughs> you know, before social media. And it always is like, oh yeah, you know, like it made me feel less alone as an artist and like I wasn't slamming my head against the wall for trying out all these things to make money. Right. Well, and I think the thing is like, it. first of all, let's be clear, even being a crafter, which is like less sort of like people have less, um, there's less stigma around saying you're a crafter than saying you're an artist, right? Because if you say you're an artist, then it's like, oh, you know, you're this thing and like people, we have all these preconceived notions about what that means. And actually that's so intimidating to people. So they're like, ah, the art world feels mysterious. I wouldn't know how to make a dime from it. I mean, people can kind of wrap their heads around making utilitarian things for other people to use or decorative items, but people can't necessarily wrap their head around what it means to be an artist. And actually it's, or what it means to make money as an artist. And actually it's not that different than, than, you know, than making money making anything else, right? And so I, since I sort of figured that out, I wanted to demystify um, some of the ways that you could, you know, in a very practical terms, without investing a ton of money, how you could start pulling together sources of income to, you know, to do this thing part-time or full-time. And, um, and that was all based on my own personal journey and experience. So it made it real for people. And I think it contextualized things in the book for folks as well. Because I sort of partly tell my own story as I'm going along. Yes. And it felt like for us millennials who got out of college and <laughs> went right into the recession and needed side hustles to supplement our stuff. And it felt like this guide of like, you know, you've been there. This is what you did. This is what worked. Here are, you know, five other ideas and 10 other ideas. If you love this, keep going. And it was one of the first art slash business books that really made sense to me. I'm so glad and to it wasn't hear that. Just yeah. like, I'm just trying to sell you things just to try to sell you things. Well, you know, it's so which is a lot of what you see on like the internet, if that makes <laughs> yeah, sense. Yeah, totally. And it's so interesting because when I first wrote the book, it was like 20,000 words longer than what ended up getting published. And my editors, I had two editors and they were both like, Lisa, you, we need to edit this down. And I was like, but there's so much valuable information in here. And they're like, you're going to overwhelm people. Like your audience is people who are just starting out. Like just give them the basic, simple information and then they'll take it from there. Like you need to sort of break it down so that it's not intimidating. And um, we ended in, we ended up editing the book. And I remember feeling like, ah, uh, a little nervous that the book was almost too simplistic. And actually one of the most consistent compliments I get on the book is that it's, it's broken down in this really simplistic way and it's really easy to sort of digest and put to use. And, uh, and now that's like one of the things that I'm the most proud of, even though I was terrified of it at first. <laughs> that's interesting. If you want to give everything you got to people, but sometimes it's too much. No, it is we too much. And I that. needed it my editors much. to tell me that, you know, to, yeah. to remind me 
Art Inc. was the first book that I wrote. I had illustrated other books um, before that, but it was the first time I had ever worked on a book of that length. And that was the greatest lesson was like, don't over explain things. Um, don't give people too much information. So. I think that's amazing advice. I think that's advice that I constantly need. So for everyone else out there, just take that. Advice. It's like Tim Gunn on Project One Way says, or used to say like, edit, edit, edit. And yeah. I always think about that. Yeah. <laughs> that's perfect. So you do a, like, you do a ton of teaching and like, even right now, I feel like you're giving us so many teachable moments. Like you do creative live you and like, obviously wanted to have more in this book. You have another book coming out, which I want to talk about more. Does this come from being a teacher for 10 years? People ask me that have you a, always... a lot. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I've, I think that I chose teaching because, um, originally I think I felt like I chose teaching because I love kids, but I realized later that I actually like delivering information and, um, I was talking to a friend last night who is also, she she's, um, has a lot of classes on Skillshare. And we were talking about like why we like teaching. And there's this way that when you're kind of connecting with people around stuff that they're really interested in learning, um, this magical moment happens, right? And I mean, obviously a lot of teachers um, are teaching people who don't necessarily have an interest in what they're teaching and that's deflating. And I've also been in those situations a few times, <laughs> but you know, but when you're with people who are, want to learn from you um, and are sort of paying money to like engage with whatever it is that they think you can teach them, it, there's something really magical about that. And I get super energized by that. Even in my online classes where I'm not like technically talking to an audience, I'm talking to, you know, a, a camera um, I still kind of feel what I'm doing and I try to imagine what it's like for somebody who's sitting there watching me on their computer screen. Um, so I think there's something about the, that connection or the, the spark that gets left that's exciting to me. Um, I also, like speaking of breaking down information into um, like digestible bits, kind of like I did in Art Inc., I think that's something that I've gotten really good at. Like let's, you know, for example, on Creative Live, I have this class on time management. And when I was designing the class, it was really important to me to assume that there were people watching who had zero background in any kind of system for managing their time. And so that's where I started, like with really basic information. And um, we can't assume that everybody keeps a to-do list. We can't assume everyone has like a notebook that where they write their things, you know. Um, and those kinds of basic tools are super, I don't know. I, I, I love sharing that actually also when I'm teaching art, I love sort of breaking things down into their simplest forms and like talking people through the simplest parts of the, of the process, because I think art is art in particular, is super intimidating to people, um, who've never done it before, but want to do it. And if you break it down, it becomes less complicated and, um, I've always loved teaching and I've always loved that process. And, um, you know, every now and again, I'm stumped about how to explain something <laughs> like anybody. Um, and that's hard in live teaching too. And when you're teaching a live class and somebody asks you a question that you don't know how to answer, that's 
tough, but like for me, most of the experience is really positive and I love doing it. Yeah. How do you feel, like, does this ever happen where like you're teaching a a class and you find that there are students that just want to make your art? Like, you know what that means? Like like maybe that's usually how it starts out, but like, how do you kind of default people away from like copying what you do and kind of... That's a really good question. I have a whole series of classes on Creative Bug um, where I'm basically teaching, um, you know, painting and drawing and very much in my style because what else would I do? Right. And I remember after the first few classes came out, I was really um, having a lot of anxiety because I was seeing all this work. A lot of people took the classes. So I was seeing all this work out there that looked like mine. And um, two things happened. One, I had to let go of the sort of preciousness of my work. Um, And the more classes I recorded, the more I also was teaching stuff that felt, um, more general or, or work that wasn't super current for me so that I could teach something authentic, but also if somebody did take it and go do something with it, it wasn't going to be the end of the world. Mm -hmm. I also talk a lot in my art classes about like taking things, your own direction, embracing your own wonkiness, like in actually trying hard not to make it look exactly like mine. I mean, copying is actually really good practice for making art. Um, this friend I was having dinner with last night was telling me that her first experience with drawing was in high school. She used to copy other people's work and she seemed sort of embarrassed about this. And I said, we're both self-taught by the way, and neither of us went to art school. So we were kind of sharing our stories. And I said, um, actually, you know, that's how we learn is by copying. And so there's a certain amount of permission I have to give people to copy my work. I mean, it's not okay ever to copy somebody's work and, you know, directly and, you know, sell sure. it or something. But I also am not stupid. I know that people are going to copy my work and alter it a bit and then turn it into their own thing. And it, we're all influenced. And that's part of what I talk about in my book on voice. Like we are artists because of other artists, not despite other artists. Like we're artists because we're, we're, inspired by people. And I know there are people who are inspired by my work and ultimately they're going to integrate what they learn from me or what they see that I do into their own work. But the idea is that they, they transform that eventually. And we all do that. I've done that with people I admire and, you know, sometimes we're better at it than other times. (laughs) You know, I've certainly in the past been called out for like, oh, that looks a lot like so-and-so's work or whatever, right? As much as I try to have my own voice. Um, So, Part of it is just accepting like that's just reality the people are gonna when they learn from you they're going to to copy your work in a certain way and part of it is encouraging people and emphasizing to, to your students that they really should embrace their own you know quirkiness and their own ideas so yeah and we had Austin Kleon on the show, and I remember something he said in, a, in one of his books that was like, if you steal from one person, right. then it's like plagiarism. But if you, steal, if you steal things from like a scene of artists that influence you and then it comes That's out, right. like then it his, isn't. So his I, book, Steal Like an Artist, is like so amazing because it gives people permission to be influenced, but it talks about how to use that influence so that, you know, it becomes your own. And I talk about that in Find Your Artistic Voice too. It's like, um, 
I say one of the tips I give is, yeah, have many, many, you know, heroes and, and not just one. Because the more of a mashup you make, the, the, the sort of more your own or more different the work is going to be. I think that's such great advice. I love him. So I have a follow-up question to that. Your art, well, let me start out by prefacing with the personal is political. So no matter what kind of art you make, it's always going to have a political statement. Your art, I think, makes the right kind of political statement, in my opinion. (laughs) Um, So when you are influencing all of these potential great artists and all of these people who want to be creative and all of these people who are going to be influenced by you and look up to you. Is that also in the back of your mind when you're creating art? Or is it just, this is what me, Lisa, has to say? You know, it's interesting. I don't, it isn't necessarily my goal to influence people's political opinions. I understand that most people who follow me like you agree with my messages or find beauty or strength in them. I lost a lot of followers after the 2016 election. Um, and that was actually okay with me. I, I know there are some people who've stuck around um, and there's new people who follow me all the time. Right. Um, and I'm not shy about saying what I think about things. And I don't necessarily know that I'm going to change people's mind on a sort of gigantic level. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, Absolutely. like I'm not going to necessarily convince somebody not to vote for Trump in 2020. However, I might change somebody's mind a little bit about like what it means to be a queer woman or what it means to be a feminist or, um, you know, open somebody's mind a little bit about like protecting trans kids or, you know, like, cause these are some of the things I talk about. So absolutely. So it's like, I don't necessarily wake up in the morning and say, I'm going to try to change these people's minds. It's more that I have this voice and platform and I want to use it to talk about stuff that I care about in the world. And as a byproduct of that, if people's minds are changed a little bit or even a lot, that's awesome. But it's not necessarily the first thing I, I think about in some ways. That said, like that sort of politically, I also post a lot of stuff on like self-love and worthiness and self-care. I think in that way, I am trying to influence people a little bit more. Like I do know there's a lot of people who follow me who have a lot of self, self-loathing and who don't have boundaries in the way that they should in their lives. And like, these are all personal lessons that I've had to learn in the last 50 years. And I do know that I'm, I am influencing people more in that way. Um, and I am a little bit more intentional in that sort of, you know, cause a lot of my artwork has messages, right? The political Absolutely. ones I put out there cause I care about the issues and maybe I want to change some minds, but the, the, the other ones I think are that are more personal. I think, um, are a little bit more strategic and they're because they're personal. Cause like I've been through these things. And so I, I feel like I can talk about them, um, in an authentic way. So, um, so probably a little bit of both. 
So a little bit more internalized messaging to your audience instead of like externalized messaging. Right. Like you'll notice that I'll make a piece of art that says something like, I don't know, you know, um, give yourself a hug or something and, or something about, um, you know, self-worth. I can't even, I'm my, you know, it's, of course, like every time I'm interviewed, I'm trying to think of something I know I'm tired too. Um, but there's, but then I tell a story in the caption about my own personal experience with that thing. Not in, hopefully in the vein of like, I've figured this out, but this is something I struggle with too. And that gives people permission to know it's okay to not have it figured out. Um, and that this is also something that somebody they might look up to is working on, which also might be encouraging to them to, to work on it too. I also think that sometimes... I don't know about you too, but like I'll be scrolling through Instagram and I'll read something that somebody has said about their, about life or, and it, it's revelatory. Like, I'm like, Oh my God, I'm so glad I saw that today. That like makes me feel so much better because I'm struggling with exactly the same thing. And that's one of the ways that I think social media can be so powerful. And if I can be part of that conversation um, myself and like make people's days better or make people realize that, you know, that, um, they're, they're worthy just as they are, or, you know, whatever, whatever the thing is, like my work is done. Right. I mean, it's also great that I can make pictures that people think are beautiful or cute or whatever, but like really so much of the meaning that I get from my work comes from like my interaction with my community online. The whole time we've been having this conversation, I've been thinking about this thing that someone sent me that, and I don't even know if it's worthwhile to make the distinction, but something tells me that it is. She sent me something that said, I don't think of you as an, in, as an influencer. I think of you as like an impactor. Mm. And I don't know if that, like, I feel like that's kind of what you're saying. Like, I feel like your art makes impact and you don't want to influence an audience necessarily, but you want to leave an impact. Right. I want, I want, so, I think I, I, I was doing a written interview the other day and um, somebody, the person who interviewed me asked me like, what, what, not what motivates you, but what, what inspires you to make work? And of course, like all the usual things inspire me like color and shapes and all that stuff, but like really getting people to challenge their assumptions or to think about things differently or to open their mind. Like that's really what's the most important to me. The fact that I can make images that people also want to, you know, consume or hang in their house or, you know, whatever, put on stationery is great because it affords me a way to make a living. But like all of that stuff feels, gives extra meaning to my work. And I don't, sometimes people will label me an influencer, um, but I don't, I don't do influencer marketing except in extremely rare circumstances. So as you can imagine, I get asked a lot to like, I mean, just this morning it was like a vitamin company and, and uh, I've chosen <laughs> not to do that because I can make a living from my art and I'd pr rather keep it pure. And sometimes I will sort of promote things um, in very rare circumstances that are very aligned with my values and very like on, you know, on brand for me or whatever. Um, so I don't even think of myself as an influencer because I, um, because I don't do social media influencing. 
So, I, but I really like the idea that I'm making an impact on people's lives, like more than influencing. So to whoever said that to you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It was Julie, Kristen. <laughs> Thanks, Julie. Shout out to Julie. Yeah. You know, I think that's really ties back into everything that you said before about how making art, making money from art is not all that different from making money as the only thing I've had in my head is welding and I have absolutely no idea why. But <laughs> you have a service that you want to provide to people. Okay. This is the service, the service of, you know, you need an uplifting message. You know, life out there is, you know, shitty sometimes. And so Lisa makes things that are both pretty and serve to make you feel better about yourself because we can get through this. Right. And that is a service that people need. Right. And I think that that's like, that's a, you know, it's, if you had interviewed me four years ago, I wouldn't necessarily have identified that. I was making some work that had messages um, a few years ago. I mean, it's really, this is kind of a new thing for me um, because I think sort of the ways in which the world is changing gave me agency and sort of motivation to do more of this kind of work. And, um, and in some ways, my career is really taken off. Like my Etsy shop makes probably double the sales that it did four years ago too, because I found this sweet spot between um, making beautiful pictures, but also embedding messages in them. And so I'm, whereas before I was, it's sometimes struggling to know like what people wanted to buy and hang on their wall. And so, you know, it obviously benefits me financially. I also use that work to do fundraisers for causes that I care about and, you know, give, try to also give back to the community as well. So, um, yeah, it's, I think that being an artist in the way that I'm an artist or in any, that any artist is an artist is like, is if you think about it in terms of service, that is a really interesting way to think about it. And that, um, you're just trying to find something it's going to make somebody's day better or something that people actually need um, that's utilitarian. And there are plenty of things we can be creative with that people actually need to buy, you know, and you got to find that, you know, that it's like a Venn diagram. You got to find the spot in the middle between the stuff you're passionate about that you want to put out into the world and that kind of niche or that need in the market. And I happened to find a new one in the last few years and that that's awesome. Cause I get to do the work I want to do and people are paying for it, which is great. Yeah. That's really awesome. So one of the things that I've been super interested in watching you do over the years is the different collaborations that you found with super on brand, but also totally disparate groups, <laughs> corporations, the UN, how have some of these come about? Are these people who have reached out to you? Do you reach out to places? What has been your favorite and what has oh. been, I would say, the most complicated one? <sighs> oh, gosh. Um, most of my work in the last six or seven years has come directly to me. I'm really lucky. I built this sort of social media platform 
Um, so a little backstory, I'm building a new website right now and my SEO on my current website is terrible. And part of the reason my SEO on my website is terrible is that I don't update my website and guess why? Because Instagram is my website. Like it's, I hate to say that. And I actually, it's bad because I, it needs, my website needs to be my website and which is why I'm having it rebuilt and I'm paying for SEO and I'm like, building a new e-commerce site. I'm actually going to be leaving Etsy to kind of like work, run my own e-commerce site. So anyway, I, I'm like part of, okay. So remind me your question. I got off on a tangent. You're asking me about collaboration. Oh yeah. Collaborations and how they come to me. So Instagram, that is all to say that like, Instagram is this place where in 2011 I joined and I had no idea at the time that it was going to become a space where essentially I was going to be posting every day images of my work and that hundreds of thousands of people were going to be following along. Like I had no clue. In fact, if you go back to 2011 to the first like year of my Instagram, I'm hardly posting art. It's all pictures of my cats and dog. And, you know, I'm using all the filters, <laughs> as, you know, we, all as did. we did. <laughs> and, um, and then slowly I began to see how powerful it was. Yeah. And now my Instagram is all professional. I do post personal stuff as we've been talking about, because that's part of my brand. Um, but I don't, I can't even imagine my career without it. And so, so many people just in the last five years, find me there. Like most of my more recent clients find me on Instagram. Um, every now and again, I'll get a, I'll get a referral from somebody who a company reached out to and that person couldn't take the illustration job. So they, they said, Oh, but I know this person who's really awesome. You should email her. And so I do get some work through referrals still. I would say the vast majority through Instagram and then a handful probably through random other, you know, people stumbling on me. So it's like this sort of variety of ways um, that happen because of my social media presence. Um, And, you know, early on in my career, I was definitely doing more of the reaching out myself and like introducing myself to brands that I wanted to work with. Um, And I have been really lucky, like Kristen said, like I have, you know, been, I've worked with um, the UN and some other, you know, big nonprofit organizations. And a lot of those are pro bono jobs. Like I don't get paid for them. They're for causes. Um, In some ways, that's the kind of work that I like doing the most. Um, And I do think that promoting your work as an artist is a really important balance between building your platform putting work out there, the same kind of work that you want to get as an artist or the kind of work you want to sell, just continually putting it out there. And like, it's kind of like the, the movie field of dreams. Like if you build it, they will come. And that was my motto for many years. Like even when nothing was happening, I'm just going to keep building this thing that I want. I'm just going to keep building it. I'm just going to keep building it. I'm going to keep building it. And then eventually people started coming and then more people started coming and then it kind of feeds on itself. Simultaneously in the beginning, at least, I was also forging relationships through email and like postcard promotions. And even in the early days when I used to use Twitter, I was like tweeting at my dream clients being like, I really want to work with you. And I got two jobs that way. So 
sometimes, you know, that kind of reaching out really works. Um, and I think eventually the goal is to get to the place where you get to be really choosy about who you work with and you're getting these like cool people wanting to work with you. Um, and I was really lucky that that eventually happened for me. And, uh, and that's actually really hard because I'm trying to take a break from client work so that I can do more personal work. Um, I'm kind of burned out and I also just haven't spent time in my studio just messing around and experimenting in a few years because I've been so busy and uh but I keep getting these you know oh we really want to work with you and I'm like ah how can I say no to this this is so <laughs> great so you know it's a good problem to have but yeah <laughs> so it sounds like in a nutshell it's just like keeping yourself out there and like tiny little successes just build on each other yeah and obviously of. you got to like find the ways to pay your bills as you're on that journey um and you got to say yes to a lot more than you say no to in the beginning i mean never in a way that compromises your values i'm like very very um i feel like that's super important but like don't work with a company that you know that doesn't align with the stuff that you believe in and um you know, I, I don't know. I just think, yeah, like continuing to put yourself out there, being dogged about it and then being really practical at the same time. And then eventually you sort of like hit this sweet spot where you're kind of, you know, I used to always um, fear that this was like the last email I was ever going to receive from anybody <laughs> ever wanting to work with me. And I, it's hard for me to um, think about that now because I don't ever think that way anymore. Um, I have more confidence now that like my career is thriving and it's going to continue to thrive and I'm not going to sabotage it in any way. Um, but I used to fear that tremendously that I would either sabotage it in some way or that it was all going to go poof and disappear. And that's a, a very common fear that people in the first five years of their, you know, entrepreneurial careers, like it's a very real fear that people have. Um, and you do have to get to this place um, eventually where work is coming in and well, you don't have to get there, but it's nice to get to a place where work is coming in and flowing to you so that you can kind of relax into it a little bit. And that eventually happened for me a few years ago. And it was kind of a relief because I used to feel stressed all the time about, you know, am I going to be able to do this forever? You know, I don't know. And now I definitely feel like I can. It sounds like a lot of this advice is going to be in your upcoming book. Um, yeah, because a lot of it, like, I read the Amazon blurb. And I'm loving this last sentence about appreciating the value of your personal journey. Yes. Because I think so many people, again, this is something that I literally need to hear right now. So I know our listeners need to hear this. And just hearing you talk right now about how you felt like maybe you would self sabotage. And like, this is exactly the fear that I'm having right now. So I'm like, okay, I'm definitely pre-ordering because I know I need to read this. <laughs> I know I need to hear this. And like, this is after having a uh, steal like an artist and like that, ha that being like one of my books that like when I'm in a crisis mode, I flip through because, okay, this is going to calm me down when I think that, okay, maybe things are not going so well. So can you tell us a little bit more about the wonderful advice you're going to give us on finding our voice. Yes, and, uh, of course. And as a, as a creative artist. Yeah. Um, so the book is divided into like seven sections. And the first section is really 
um, like, what is an artistic voice? Like, what do I even mean by that? And most of the time, what we think of voices is style, right? Like, that's the probably the most common synonym. But your voice is actually so much more than the style of your work. It's what you were just saying. It's actually like your story. It's your experience. It's your perspective. And it's based on how you were raised, your religion, your, even if none of that stuff comes through overtly in your work, like who you are is based on everything that made you who you are, you know, up until that moment. And right. your artistic style is a reflection of that. And um, so that's the first section. Second section is about like, why does having a voice matter? Why can't we just you know, make work that looks like other people's or why can't we just copy things and sell them? Um, so a lot about, you know, your voice actually being your superpower, like um, to work professionally in the arts, you have to work really quickly and on fast deadlines often. You have to make work that stands out um, so that you have some sort of professional sustainability um, it may seem obvious why it's important to have your own artistic voice, but I sort of break it down a little bit. And then I talk about, in the third section, I talk about the path. And by the path, I mean the creative path. Because your voice is totally shaped also by your, you know, perception of, um, of your creative path. And for a lot of people, they perceive creativity as what? Scary as hell and um, super vulnerable and um, frightening. So making art, trying new things um, creatively can be really enjoyable, but we all, once, if we do it enough, we all hit those moments, right? Where we're like, this sucks, is this good enough? I'm doing this wrong, this looks terrible, I'm not meant to do this you know, all the things we tell ourselves in every iteration. Um, and understanding that those twists and turns on the path are totally normal because the more we normalize those, um, the better. And in fact, they're necessary because they build grit and they actually make us go back the next day and make something better. You know, um, they force us to reckon with um, things that we don't want to reckon with. So I talk about like, what to expect on the creative path and understanding that even if you feel totally alone, it's completely normal. I also talk about navigating influence. Um, we were talking a little bit ago about Austin Kleon's book. And so a lot of that chapter is a similar topic. You know, what does it mean to be influenced? Um, we're all influenced. Everybody's influenced. So what does it mean to be influenced and, and what does it mean to use your influence in a, in a smart way? Um, and then, you know, I talk a lot about, um, you know, this whole idea of routine and practice. The only way you're going to find your voice is if you make a lot of work. And the only way to make a lot of work is to have a routine where you're practicing getting better at that thing, that you show up and are dedicated. Um, the sixth section is about moving through fear. So exactly what you were talking about. Kristen, like this whole idea that um, we go through these intense periods of self-doubt and again, the fact that that's totally normal and that we should use fear as an opportunity to 
learn and grow and, um, you know, make better work. Um, and then there's just a bunch of practical advice towards the end of the book about um, speeding up the process. You know, that's what people want. They ultimately people want, um, they want to find their voice sooner because the sooner you find your voice, the more, you know, if you're an illustrator, the sooner you're going to get clients. You know, if you're a fine artist, the, the sooner you're going to get your work in a gallery. If you're, um, you know, a traditional crafter, the sooner, you know, you're going to be selling stuff online or wholesaling your work or whatever. Like there is, um, you know, there's a sense of urgency that people have about, you know, making this happen. And unfortunately, there's no magic bullet, but there are actually really practical things you can do to, to get to a style and a, you know, your own unique perspective faster than you would otherwise. And so I talk about those things at the end of the book. I mean, none of them are silver bullets, but they're all things that you can actually do. Which is so much more important. Yes. I like to get out of theoretical. I mean, I like talking in platitudes about things for sure. <laughs> I like talking about theoretical things, but like, I feel like nothing ever changes until you take action and you can actually do something. And um, the good news is that I always say if this book could be summarized in like one phrase, it would be, you know, show up, do the work, feel the fear and do it anyway. So like, it's basically about showing up, practicing, devoting yourself to, to creating something beautiful or interesting or whatever your goal is. And, um, you know, working through the fear and putting it out into the world and then continuing to get up every day and do that same thing over and over. And that's ultimately, you know, the life of an artist, but it's also sort of how you find your voice and then use that in the world. Amazing. Pre-ordering it as soon as we <laughs> Do I smell a book club book? Yeah, no, absolutely. Please. This yeah, is going to be, be absolutely so perfect for our fall book club. Where are you, where are you, yeah. where are you located? I know you're in different places. I'm in mid-Michigan and Amanda's in the New York City okay. metropolitan okay. area. I am going on a book tour this fall. I'm not coming to Michigan, but I am hopefully coming to New York City in November. Oh so. my gosh, that'd be so fun. In November, <laughs> yeah. maybe my birthday. Yeah, no, no. Nobody comes to mid-Michigan anymore. I used to live in, in North Jersey, so now Kristen. I live in the middle of nowhere, and it's a wonderful uh, culture shock. But now, it's the, the cost of living here is so cheap. I can't, it's it's just amazing well, and wonderful. And I moved from San Francisco to, to Portland about four years ago, and I experienced the same thing. Like, it's still the West Coast, but it's, like, so much cheaper here and so much more less intense, more spacious. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still a city, but it's not like moving to a small town, but relatively speaking, it feels that way sometimes, and I'm loving it. And this is a university town, so it's like kind of the best of... It's like, if someone had told me that like all American towns exist, I never would have believed them growing up in like North Jersey. (laughs) Like, you know, there's a farmer's market on Sunday, and you know, it's the tiny little blue bubble in a kind of purple state. Um, even though Michigan has been like, the whole state of Michigan is angry that they voted for Trump and has been proving everybody wrong since <laughs> 2016. And they're like, 
we didn't do this. And like, <laughs> guys, we did. So it's just a wonderful place to live. Um, and I'm very surprised at how much I love it. That's awesome. But it is, it's really awesome. And it's one of the ways in which I've grown as a person. And that's the next question that I'm going to ask you is we've been asking everybody this season, what has uh, been one way that you've seen your career or your personal growth really impact your life? You know, I was actually reflecting on this question today, not because I was reading um, anything you guys sent me before we started recording, um, but more just sort of randomly. And one of the things I'm noticing is that so I used to struggle with overwhelm a lot because as we've been discussing, I do a lot of things. I work with a lot of clients and take on a ton of projects. Um, I'm on social media almost every day and I'm human. So, you know, just like for every, anybody else, like that experience sometimes makes me feel like I have to work all the time. Like I should cancel my plans with my friends tonight so that I can stay home and work, or I should not go on that bike ride Saturday so I can stay home and work. And that has completely shifted for me. I am now fully bought into in a, like in a, in a real way, um, this idea that I need to have time away from work and that, um, my life outside of my work is in service of my career, not a detriment to it. So I used to no understand that it. in theory, but I wasn't necessarily practicing it. I was doing the like um, scarcity thing where I was like, uh, I don't have enough time. So I better just work all the time so that I can get this stuff done. And then it never bought me more time because I would just keep taking on more projects. Right. So, That's so true. Yeah, right. Like it doesn't necessarily ever work that way. So A, I take on less projects now. I say no a lot. Um, and B, when I do get overwhelmed, like I am right now, like next week we have this vacation planned. And my wife also works in a job that's very demanding and she's going through a very stressful time. And she was like, what if we canceled the second half of our vacation? Now we're just staying in Oregon. We're going camping. We're going to two different spots. So there was like part A and part B. And she said, what if we cancel part B? And she obviously really wanted to because she was feeling like she wasn't going to be able to get her work done. And I was like, also feeling like I wasn't going to be able to get my work done. But I also know that that three days in the mountains is going to re-energize me in a way that staying home and working will not and that I need it and that I want it and that I'm looking forward to it and that we need it together in our relationship and that actually I'm probably going to come home and work more efficiently because I've been on vacation and if I don't I'm just going to be exhausted and that's new for me this like this like very real valuing of and understanding the valuable impact of the time I spend away from work on the quality of my work when I'm doing it. And I never think I understood that before. And that is a huge area of personal growth for me that's been super recent that I'm seeing in real time, like every day now. And, uh, and, I, and you know, I'm a little panicked that like I'm gonna need an extension on these books that I'm working on and that maybe we're gonna have to push the pub back 
pub dates, you know, out a season for one or two of them. But, but guess what? Oh, well, right. That's life. Like I, I don't want to look back on my life and be like, yeah, I published, you know, three books in one season, but I had no life and I was miserable. (laughs) You know, I would rather take my time and quite honestly, I'm working with like amazing editors who are like, take the time you need. It's going to be fine. It, the book will get done when it gets done. We trust you to make good progress and you know, you have to take care of yourself and I, you know, so I, I have really no reason not to. And so, so, so that's been a huge, huge, huge shift for me recently. Yeah. I think that's amazing. Thank you. <laughs> I do too. <laughs> I'm really yeah, totally. excited about it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's how you know it's real growth. Right. Like I can feel it. Yeah. And before, if I had told you that I would have just been bullshitting you. So I convinced my wife that we should go on that second half of the vacation, by the Good. way. And Good. she ultimately realized as we talked about it that that she needed it too. And now we're excited again. So Awesome. That's the best news. Yes. <laughs> Great answer. I can identify in a lot of ways. And I'm glad that you put words to it. So fun. Okay, are you ready to kind of wrap up this yeah, episode? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Currently round? Yeah, so we, we do currently is based off Kristen's currently card that she puts out on her website, and people listening can get it at com slash currently, and then we just kind of converse about it on the podcast. Okay. So here we go. Okay. So what are you currently watching? Gentleman Jack. Ooh, is it good? It's so good. Okay. That's one next on my list then. Yes. It, people can see it on Netflix? Yes. It, no, HBO. it's on, um, is it Netflix or Hulu? HBO. 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 Thank yeah. you. See, I have them all. Um, I love television. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it's, yeah, we, it's a BBC slash HBO production. So we land on the one that's like, oh, this is on this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I'm, I'm I know. I'm a huge television Gentleman nerd. Jack is great. It's like a period piece from the 1830s, takes place in Great Britain, and it's about this, like, you know, in today's terms, we would call her butch lesbian who lives a very unconventional life. And it's a true story based on somebody's diaries. And it's so well done. I love it. Cool. Okay, what, are you awesome. cur- what are you currently reading? I am reading a book called The Librarian of Auschwitz. Oh. And it's about this 14-year-old girl who's um, lives in or is interned at Auschwitz concentration camp and it's a true another true story I I obviously love true stories (laughs) um and she um is in charge of like literally the five books at the concentration camp which are she has to keep hidden from the guards because books are considered like dangerous right because they spread ideas about nonconformity and it's a true story about this I'm only about halfway through but about this young woman who who's who's basically takes on this job of hiding the books and um it's riveting and i i just traveled to um europe and i was in amsterdam prague and berlin and um all three of those cities have like really rich history around the holocaust and that's what got me interested in in reading the book that's amazing cool what are you currently listening to um, well, <laughs> I listen to so many audiobooks and podcasts. Is it okay for me to talk about that? Please. Yeah. Okay. So I'm um, right now I'm listening to a book called Ninth Street Women. And it's about five painters from like the, you know, mid-century, Lee Krasner, Elaine de Kooning, 
Grace Hardigan, Joan, Joan Mitchell, and I think Helen Frankenthaler. And basically their role in changing the face of modern art. And so the reason it's an important book is like, those are stories, like apparently, and again, I'm only about a third, this book is huge and I'm only about a third way through the audiobook, but they had a really huge role in, in changing the face of modern art. And yet their story hasn't been told because they're women. Um, so the book is just like super fascinating and deeply researched and I'm a little obsessed with it. That sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds really amazing. <laughs> what are you currently making? I'm actually, the thing I'm most excited about right now is my garden. Yes. What are you making in your garden? Oh. Tell us. Well, we made beds like three or four years ago when we first moved into this house and we have a bit of property to play with. And so it's not huge because it's in the middle of the city, but enough. And so we're this year we're growing, we always grow a lot of kale and lettuce. We have carrots, beets, strawberries, tomatoes, peas. I know I'm forgetting things. Um, but I love having a garden and sometimes we have entire meals from our garden. I love tending to the garden. Today it poured rain all day, which is also really unusual for summertime here. It rains a lot in Portland, but not necessarily in June. Um, and I'm really happy because I don't have to go water because <laughs> even though yeah. I love tending to my garden, watering is time consuming. So anyway, um, yeah, I love like planting something tiny and watching it completely explode. And it's the most amazing yeah. thing. Yeah, because like with water and the amount of sunshine we get all year round, like things love it. Like it's like the land of milk and honey here. So it's great. It's the same thing about mid Michigan. Yeah. But the produce we have here and like I we just did our CSA pickup today. Like we have we have a garden, but like also the CSA. It's just like before moving here, I never knew how good vegetables could taste. Yeah, it's a similar client climate because you guys get rain and like a lot of sun and yeah it's amazing so and don't worry I'm gonna I'll water my plants as soon as we're done <laughs> <laughs> they're so like sad right now don't worry um what are you currently feeling um I was reflecting on this today that I've been I mean I feel this every day but gratitude um I I am uh you know, I, I spent a lot of my 20s and 30s like sad and confused. And I, um, as much as I work really hard and sometimes get overwhelmed, <laughs> you know, I'm like, I've made a life for myself doing this thing that I love to do um, and getting to impact other people's lives as we were talking about. And I have this really beautiful relationship. Um, and I just, I have a lot of gratitude for that, um, you know. And the world is, you know, also, as we mentioned, kind of a shitty place right now. And I feel really lucky that I have this kind of like safety net. And, um, you know, I have a lot of friends and family and, and an amazing life. And I'm super grateful for that. That's really awesome. Thanks. Good answer. What are you currently planning? My book tour. Kristen, <laughs> <laughs> you're going to have to visit New York in November. I know. To see Lisa. Well, and I'm slowly, <laughs> so the book tour is all booked, except I'm still trying to work out in New York is one of those places I'm still trying to work out the venue. Um, and I'm working with somebody who's, you know, 
who's helping me. So, but yeah, um, I, the last book tour I went on, I hired someone to do it for me, like plan it. And, um, I decided to do it myself this time. And, uh, um, I <laughs> feel again. good because it, it's like more, I'm, I have more control. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because I get to make the decisions and like all that, but at the same time, um, it is a lot of work and logistics and I'm constantly like making plane reservations and trying to figure out like if I can squeeze one, one more thing in and, you know, am I spending enough time at home versus traveling and, so this is the longest book tour I will have ever gone on. I'm going to something like 13 cities, which like compared to Austin Gleon is nothing. He goes on these really long <laughs> tours, but um, it's about all I can handle. And then I'll yeah, probably go more like places next year. But yeah. Still crazy impressive. <laughs> Thank you. Where are you <laughs> most excited to go to? Um, oh gosh, that's such an interesting question. I'm going to a lot of places that, I've never been before. So I always do the usual West Coast places, but I'm also, this time I'm going to Columbus, Pittsburgh, um, Jacksonville, Florida, not in this order, um, Memphis, um, Atlanta. Yeah, so like a lot of places, oh, Salt Lake City, like a lot of places that I haven't been on a book tour before or that aren't necessarily like big cities like Boston or Chicago. I think that's what people expect you to do. Totally. And I chose to go to some smaller cities or cities that were slightly off the beaten path. Um, and some of that part of that decision was made by the fact that there were people from those places who reached out to me and were like, we want you here and I'm going to help you make that happen. Oh, Austin, Texas too. Yeah. So I'm going there. Um, yeah. So I'm also going to LA and Seattle and San Francisco and all those places in New York, but I'm going to all these other cities where I've never been before. And I think it's going to be really fun. So, um, you know, and I get to meet people that I've never met before, too, at those places. That's really awesome. Is that this upcoming fall? Yeah. So it's my first stop is here, of course, in Portland on September 4th. And then I go to Salt Lake City on the 6th. And then I'll be publishing on my Instagram, like all of my stops. Um, but it, it'll go September through November with some pockets of time where I'm back at home and then some of the travel is actually I'm speaking at conferences that aren't public book signings um, so I'm sort of like putting those in my schedule as well that's awesome and, and lastly oh yeah oh, go oh don't go ahead Amanda no I was gonna do the last thing on the list yeah do Unless the last thing on the list <laughs> sure what are you currently loving <laughs> um I love Portland I'm like we were just talking about gardening here so I moved here four years ago and um you know when you move somewhere I mean you just went through this Kristen like you you have like it takes a while to get used to the place like even if you move there and you're like this is so cool you still you miss your friends you're like you don't know your way around you don't necessarily have a sense of community or of place you can't really appreciate yet all of the like ways that that place is amazing. And I lived in the same city for a really long time and uh, in San Francisco. And so moving here was awesome, but it was also, you know, kind of like through our lives upside down for a period of time. I think on the surface moves can seem really romantic and amazing. And they're often very stressful on couples and families because um, change, right? 
And um, so I'm finally, after four years, just like, like settling into my life here in a way that feels super comfortable and yet not boring either. <laughs> like there's still totally. a lot to do here. I've made friends. I really like my friends. They've been around for a while. People are cool. Like I have this, I actually opened a shop in my studio, which is another thing I'm loving. Um, like I, it's only open two afternoons a week, but I open up my studio and sell things in the front. And um, I love meeting people and I love having a space here that people can come and visit. And um, I just really like life here. Like even today it's June and it's pouring rain and I don't even care. Like I just, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> Makes it easier to work sometimes. <laughs> Maybe we could talk more about your studio and after chatter. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. That's definitely what I want to talk about. Yeah. This has been amazing. You are... You're the best. Oh, thank you. An amazing <laughs> woman of so much wisdom. You. And you're just so much fun to talk to. I like to talk. Um, sometimes... <laughs> so do we. Sometimes I, was, I did a podcast interview a couple weeks ago with someone who was more traditional in the like, ask the question, move the conversation along, sure. ask the next question. I think she wanted to get it done in 30 minutes. I think that's her shtick, right? Okay. And I went with it totally fine. Like she was a great interviewer. It was just less casual, like what we're doing. Yeah. And I think she didn't know what to do with me for a minute there because I, <laughs> I will like literally go off on a tangent. So <laughs> we love tangents. We, we love tangents. <laughs> hey, my, my favorite podcasts are tangent podcasts anyway. So. Yeah, I think that you find the best gems when you kind of just dig deep. Yeah, totally. Exactly. This has been this has been absolutely fabulous. Thank you so much for being so on the fun. show. And your book comes out August 6th. 6th. So, I'm pre-ordering as soon as I I, I literally have the Amazon page up. So, I will <laughs> I will click my buttons because it is going to definitely be a book club book. I'm for sure for that. It's going to be required reading for my uh, <laughs> feminist scrapbook book of me class. I'm sure of that. And I'm super pumped to read it myself. Thank you. So I'm really excited for that. I'm really excited to jump into After Chatter. And if you guys want to check out Lisa and her super coordinating outfit and wonderful background, <laughs> yeah. you guys can pop over to After Chatter with and us. And my wilting plants. And Amanda's wilting plants. <laughs> but now she's off for the summer and she can water them every day. Uh, I am a teacher as well, Lisa. Ah. And her last day of school was yesterday. So. Oh, was yesterday. awesome. Now That's why I'm so smiling. Again. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. Um, but we will be back next week with another possibly amazing guest. Possibly it'll be an, an Amanda show. Who knows? It's a surprise. <laughs> we will have a surprise show for you next week. It will be amazing because we love you. And we want to bring you the best and most wonderful content because you guys are the most amazing audience. And if you want to come and see the Crafty Ass Female After Chatter show with Lisa, come over to you patreon.com slash crafty ass female and for just five dollars a month you can see what is it now 65 videos oh yeah like there's like 80 videos now 65 after chatters book club video chats we got so much content for you guys we love you thank you for listening and we will catch you next week bye guys